Paul wrote just hours before he died. Uh, so, that all being said, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to pick up at verse 20. We're going to read down to 21. We'll have a word of prayer and then get to looking at it. It goes like this. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the day you've given us. We thank you for the rain. We get rain, we get, get sun, we get all that we need to make this creation produce. You're a gracious God, as we observed already earlier in prayer time downstairs. We do ask that you'll guide us through your word. Show us what you'd each have us to do with it. Help us to apply it to our individual lives. It's in your name we ask it. Amen. So as I say today, we're finally going to wrap up our study in 1 Timothy. And in just these couple of verses that we're looking at today, we're going to see Paul reiterate the commission that he gave to uh, Timothy back in the beginning of the book. Let's, let's back up and remember how the book started. Let's go to chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Paul says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightst charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And if we skip down uh, to verses 18 and 19, same chapter, it says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightst war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. See, Paul gives a, in each of those instances, Paul gives a command, hold fast to this, because some have left it, and it's been ruinous to them. We see it in all three sections. The one we're looking at today, verses 3 to verses 18 to 20 in chapter 1. These are the last words that Paul gives before he expects to be able to visit Timothy. Remember that. Paul's writing this, expecting to visit Timothy shortly, and I don't believe that visit ever happened. Circumstances came up. I don't believe Paul ever got to see Timothy again. We're going to see when we go to uh, 2 Timothy, Paul writes it knowing he's never going to see anybody again. Uh, in fact, he says, my hour's up right now, and I, I believe that just after Paul set down the pen on that, I think the guards came to execute him. I think it's the last conscious thing Paul did was write Second Timothy, and that's what we're going to be looking at next time. So these things that Paul's writing are very, very important. So let's try to keep that in mind as we look at it. Let's read verse 20 again. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust 
avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. We'll break it off right there. But did you notice that this verse starts right off with a very small word that's very easy to skip, and it seems kind of insignificant? Some Bible translations even leave it right off. The NIV comes to mind. Uh, but it's a significant word, and it is present in the Greek. It's that English word, oh. Oh, Timothy. When you say, when you put an O in front of something, we don't do it so much in today's language, but when you put an O, that little one-letter one word, O, you're emphasizing it. It's to emphasize, O, make sure, O. We, we sing the Christmas carol that comes to mind, O, holy night. Uh, they add the O in front to, to signify its importance, the importance now, this is the second time we've seen it used in this book so far. We saw it in verse 11 as well, same chapter. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Paul's really trying to make an emphasis here. Paul's trying to use great feeling as he's writing these last words to Timothy. He's not just barking out a bunch of commands to him. Oh, Timothy, pay attention. Pay attention to what? Keep that which is committed to your trust. That literally means guard the deposit. That whole phrase, if you were to literally translate it, it means guard the deposit. The Greek word that translates that which is committed to thy trust, we, we got a great big long phrase in English, it's parathike in the Greek. That's all it is, parathike. It literally means a deposit. Uh, you know what it is to uh, go, you got a safe deposit box maybe down at the bank. Uh, this is actually more like a payroll deposit. It brings to mind, I like old Western movies. Can I give, I relate to your Western, you, you folks look like your Western movie type people. Uh, I like old Western movies. Think of the Texas Rangers who are riding along, they're guarding the Wells Fargo payroll train, right? Uh, that, that's what we're talking about here. Timothy's been trusted with something of incredible value, and he needs to guard it and to protect it with his very life. I, I got one, I got to tell you, I got one Western movie is coming to my mind right now, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, where the same poor guy is guarding the uh, same Wells Fargo box on the same train, and it gets, keeps getting blown up by the hole-in-the-wall gang over and over and over. Don't do it again, don't do it again. That, sorry, that's where my mind's going right now. But that's what we're supposed to do, guard it with our very life. What do you suppose that precious item is? What is it that's committed to Timothy's... Uh, Trust. What are we talking about here? What? The gospel. Bingo. The man in the back gets it. The gospel. It's what we've been talking about throughout this entire book so far. It's the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is something we all ought to be doing as Christians, isn't it? Not just Timothy. Uh, let's, for instance, let's see where Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. By the way, this is a thought I just penciled down this morning while I was, it, I didn't type it in my notes or anything. I just came up with this this morning as I was drinking coffee. How many times Paul says to, hey, hang on to this gospel that's committed to you. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ as stewards of the mysteries of God. That's what we are, stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward is somebody who protects something, right? 
Something has been entrusted with him. That's you and I. Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians. We'll see it's even clearer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is even clearer. And verses 3 and 4. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. There's others, but those, that, those are some that emphasize our point right here. You and I are entrusted with the gospel. And we need to keep that. We need to guard that as if our life depended on it. This expression of guard the deposit is very similar Greek language. If you're looking at the Greek, the way the Greek is written, it's very similar to what Paul said in fight the good fight in verse 12. It's almost identical language. They're both military terms. They imply a military style readiness, a rigor, a savvy, and when necessary, maybe an aggressive stance. Paul isn't telling Timothy to go pick fights. In fact, based on what we've seen throughout this book so far, Timothy is to avoid fights. People are going to come along, they're going to want to argue with you, Timothy. Don't do it. Don't get into those stupid arguments. That's what Paul said over and over and over with Timothy. Uh, in fact, if we learn anything from First and Second Timothy and Titus, we learn what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. If it be possible, so much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. But sometimes it just isn't possible, is it? Some people you cannot be peaceable with. Have you ever met those guys? All right. It's not just me. Because if it were just me, then, okay, the, we got a different problem. So when issues arise where you need to take an aggressive stance, Timothy may have to guard the deposit, right? That's what Paul's talking about. Now, Paul writes in this style in other epistles as well. When he describes things such as put on the full armor of God, right, in Ephesians, we, we see these sort of things all the time. Did you know that this Christian walk isn't a lazy walk through the roses? It calls for vigilance. It calls for awareness. I've, I've pointed out to you over and over that one of my favorite pieces of American st statuary is the Minuteman statue down in Concord, Mass. It's Eternal Vigilance is the title of it. Eternal Vigilance. I'll put it out for consideration that the American church today is sleepwalking rather than guarding the deposit. I'll come back to that thought in a little bit. But we wonder why American churches are decaying, falling apart, numbers are dwindling, we're sleepwalking. So while Timothy is to be busy guarding the deposit, he's also to avoid something else. Keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings. The word to avoid here is ektrepo. Ektrepo. We've seen it several times before. We saw it in uh, chapter 1 and verse 6. We saw it in chapter 5 and verse 15. And we've seen it elsewhere. It speaks of making a conscious turn. This is not accidentally making a wrong turn. Avoid, just 
eh, I just happen to avoid that. No, this is a deliberate and a premeditated action. I am going to avoid this. I'll ask another question to you. Did you know that there are times when we ought to study to discuss and to engage with somebody disputing the gospel? There are times when that's appropriate. And there are other times when we ought to turn away when someone's just disputing with us. And wisdom is knowing which time is which. Many Christians today have no idea how to turn away from an argument. And your energy and your time can be wasted very, very easily if you're to take some of these stupid arguments seriously. There's a lot of stupid arguments in the world today, aren't there? There's a lot of stupid arguments in the world. And you're wasting your time most of the time trying to argue with people. It's a tool of the devil, really. It's to get your focus off of where your time would be better spent. I only have so much time to do things. 24 hours a day is what I've got. I try to sleep as little of that as possible, and I try to optimize the rest of the time that I do have. I've only got so much time. I can't be wasting it on stupid, dumb arguments. I've got better things to be putting my time into. I can't be arguing every piddling argument with people. But there's another category mentioned, which is related, but not quite the same. It says, and oppositions of science falsely so-called. And this is even worse than stupid, empty babbling. This is even worse than... Some, there's some things in this world that are just stupid. And then there's other things where someone is deliberately trying to mislead you. You've run into that before too, haven't you? You see, uh, when Paul's talking about profane and vain babblings, the profane and vain is the same word that he used to describe Esau in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. And it's not a good thing. The word babblings is uh, kenophonia. Many empty noise is literally what it means. Empty noise. Just fill in the air with, with empty noise. And there's plenty of those kind of wasteful discussions that are going on in the world today. And we as Christians need to avoid them. We ought to share the gospel with people, and we ought to let the Holy Spirit work in their minds. You and I can't afford to be wasting time on anything else. But as I say, there's a, another category that's worse. It's worse than stupid, empty babbling. And it's actual, legitimate, false teaching. Like we've looked at so many times in this book so far. Paul's concern with Timothy, we're in the church at Ephesus, uh, and the church at Ephesus was full of false teachers. All kinds of false teachers. Most of them aren't that much different than false teachers we've still got today. And we've seen the, that throughout the book. These false teachers were flattering themselves by claiming that their knowledge was some kind of higher knowledge. Uh, but since they've rejected the truth, their teaching can't possibly be genuine knowledge. I don't care what you call it. I mean, uh, I find the word very interesting here. It says, oppositions of science, falsely so-called. They call themselves science. Uh, 
Science is the discovery of the truth. If you've rejected the truth, then what you're calling science is not, no longer true. It's no longer true. It's false at best. It might be deception at worst. See, these people who are claiming to have a genuine knowledge that's outside of the truth, they called themselves Gnostics, from the Greek word gnosko, to know. We all know that. Agnostics are people who say we cannot know. Agnostic is one who says you can't know God. Gnostic says I've got a higher knowledge of God than you. They claim to have a deeper knowledge. Now, that, that sort of deeper knowledge of God hasn't gone away. It's still around. More recently, we've seen people like Charles Taze Russell, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Mary Baker, Patterson, Glover, Fry, Eddie, Christian Science. Uh, you know, something I've always wondered. She had five husbands. They all died under mysterious circumstances. Isn't that odd? Did anybody ever investigate that? Uh, Joseph Smith, Mormons, uh, they all made the same claims to have a, a new revelation from God. We need to avoid them. By the way, if the world continues to turn, there's going to be others that are going to come along, and they're going to claim to have deeper knowledges too. It's no different. They were there in Paul's and Timothy's day. They're there today. It's the same thing. Don't waste your time with them. But then comes verse 21, which some professing, talking about the oppositions to science and the profane vain babblings, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Paul wraps up with a very short, very business-like little side note to Timothy. Some of Paul's letters, we see him wrap up and make sure you say howdy to Tertius and make sure you say hello to Priscilla and Aquila Make sure you say hi to these people and that those Paul's very businesslike here. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've seen such a grand, majestic look at God and his son, and now at the end, Paul's right back to business. It's almost anticlimactic, isn't it? He's using very specific language to give some very last advice before he signs off. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, Paul, you should have ended when you were talking about uh, where was he? Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall know, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in a light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Paul, you could have ended there. But he continues on down through here. He's trying to give one last little direction to Timothy. And he warns Timothy... That some, some, we've seen that over and over through this book, some, you know who they are, Timothy, have done blah, blah, blah. Some have professed these false teachings and they've erred concerning the faith. We've seen that kind of language over and over and over so far in this book. Uh, chap- let me give you an example. Chapter 5 and verse 15, he says, For some are already turned aside after Satan. Uh, But, all right, let's look at another one. Chapter 2 and verse 10. Uh, That's not the one I was thinking of. Never mind. Never mind. Uh, We see it in others of Paul's writings as well. Uh, We'll see it when we get to Titus, chapter 1, verse 2. We uh, see it in Romans 4, 21. Galatians 3, 19. 
these things where some people have turned aside from true teaching. See, those things, those false teachers that we're talking about, these people who are holding to false truths, they're holding to falsehoods, those things, that, the things Timothy needs to turn away from, those are actively recruiting right now. You know what that means. I mean, you go down to the recruiting office and the recruiting sergeant down there is actively trying to get people to sign up for the Air Force, the Marines, whomever. That's what they're doing. Well, these false teachers are actively recruiting too. Come on. We see them. Again, the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons come to mind. Uh, and people are pledging allegiance to them, and they're following them in directions that are just as ungodly and just as immoral as the teachings that they're listening to. I told you I was going to come back to this. Do you ever wonder why the church in America is not growing? Do you ever wonder why the church in America is not growing? The enemy is active and is recruiting while most of us are sitting around on our dead butt complaining about stuff that doesn't matter. We need to wake up. Do you see the urgency in what Paul's writing here? He's concerned because in spite of the sound doctrine that he preaches and that he writes about, there are some people who are still turning away to false doctrines. I'm doing my best, Paul says. I'm teaching the truth. I'm writing about the truth. We've got his writings right here. We're reading them today. Paul's doing the best he can, but there are still people turning aside to false doctrines. It was true then, and it's still true today. We'll see. Let's skip ahead to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 18. He's talking about a couple of people. Well, yeah, let's back up to verse 17. He says, And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who, concerning the truth, have erred, saying the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Some people, they've made a mistake, and they're leading other people away. They've erred concerning the faith. When we get there, we'll look at it in more detail. I don't want to steal my own thunder too much right now. Did you know that people always have been and always will be walking away from the truth? People have always been walking away from the truth. Let's look through some in John. Let's go over to John chapter 6. I've got a little bit of time. And we're almost done. John chapter 6. Verse 66. Oop. Next page. Now this is Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus had people. As good a teacher as Jesus was, the best teacher that ever was, he had people that walked away from his truth. He was truth incarnate. And people walked away from that. Uh, let's skip down to uh, John 11. Verse 8. And we'll read it down to uh, 
verse 16. This is Jesus. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and thou goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of his sleep. I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 16. And then said Thomas, which was called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. They weren't even expecting Jesus to survive. They were expecting this to deteriorate. He's going to go to Jerusalem. Jesus, they're trying to kill you there. They tried to turn him away. Even his own disciples. In the end, even his closest disciples did leave him. Uh, Matthew chapter 26. Let's, let's take a look at that. Verse 56. Here we are in the, in the garden just before Jesus' arrest. Matthew 26, verse 56. And all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. We're talking about the twelve. They all ran away. Move over to uh, Matthew 28, and verse 17. We're talking about the resurrection. Uh, I'll back up to verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is after the resurrection. You've listened to Jesus, you followed his instruction enough to go to the mountain where he said to go, and some of them still doubted. And we're talking about of the eleven. We're often kind of hard on Judas. After all, he betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide. We're hard on Thomas. Wow, Thomas, he was the doubting. They all had issues, didn't they? And you know what? You do and I do too. You do and I do too. I've got my doubts. You've got your doubts from time to time. We can't be among those who make error of the faith and walk away. That's what Paul's warning about. That's why we need to guard the deposit, the gospel that we have. If Jesus had troubles with his followers staying true, then how can I expect to have any better from the folks I'm trying to lead? It's going to happen. You and I had better be prepared for the exact same thing to happen. Throughout church history, there have always been people coming and going from various local churches. Whether it was Ephesus, whether it was Jerusalem, or whether it's Surrey, New Hampshire. Paul doesn't need to elaborate on that. Timothy is seen at first hand when he was working with Paul in Corinth. Remember, when Paul was working in the church in Corinth, Timothy was right there with him. He worked with him elsewhere as well. All Paul needs to do is to encourage Timothy to stand firm and to guard the deposit. So how can Timothy do that? How do we, I mean, we've talked about this. We've got to guard the deposit. We all agree on that. How do we do that? Well, we've got a great enabler, don't we? That we share with him. Holy Spirit, through God's grace, 
And that's why Paul wraps up with grace be with you. Amen. The way you're going to be able to do this, Timothy, is through the grace of God. That's it. And you and I have nothing different. It's the exact same thing. The grace of God and His Holy Spirit is all we've got. Brother Fisher, would you mind closing in a word of prayer? Amen.